Our psalm, or our passage of scripture this morning is from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the times we get together as a church family to elevate you, to sing songs of worship for how good you are to us, to be reminded that you're in control, to calm and quiet our souls in the midst of all that life throws at us. And I pray this morning that through this text, you would teach us that your Holy Spirit would put into each heart and mind what it needs to hear, that our lives would reflect the grace that you have won us with, that we would be open to hearing what needs to change, to being challenged by your Spirit and your Word, to being comforted and encouraged where we need it, to set a new path. And Father, I pray, regardless of what we walked in here today facing, that we can learn what David learned, to calm and quiet our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Morning. All right. A couple things before uh, we get into the sermon. There's a lot going on here as a church. I just want to take a couple minutes and let everybody know so we're all on the same page. Uh, by the way, if you don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. Thank you for joining us at Redemption, especially if this is your first time or one of your first few times. We'd love to connect with you more. You can stop out at that little table out in the lobby, fill out a connect card, and then uh, somebody on our team will help you get connected as you desire. Again, thank you so much for being here this morning. So we're right in the middle of our Christmas series, calm and quiet Christmas. And this week is uh, really, uh, well, I guess tonight then is our Christmas worship night. And so if you've never been to a worship night, they're really fun. And then you throw Christmas on top of it. Uh, and so we're going to have a blast tonight at five o'clock. Join us again back here tonight, five o'clock. There's kid care up to the age of five. If they're old, older than five, just bring them on in here. They can sing with us. We take a time to sing together. We pray together. We'll take communion together. And it's just a great night as a church family. If you got some Christmas cookies you want to bring, feel free to bring those. We'll hang out afterwards out in the lobby and just get to know each other better as a church family. So again, that's tonight at five o'clock. Our Christmas Eve services, as a reminder, are the 23rd and the 24th. On the 23rd, it's six o'clock. On the 24th, it is four and six o'clock. Uh, the service is fantastic. I've seen what the team has put together. So I want to invite you back, invite some friends, some family. Uh, we are going to add like 75 chairs into the auditorium. And we've put two hours in between the services, so we should have plenty of parking. Uh, so come back and join us on the 23rd and the 24th for a really beautiful night. Last Christmas announcement. Actually, I have two more Christmas announcements. There's a lot of Christmas going on here. The 26th, which is the day, of course, after Christmas, Sunday morning, we are not having service that day. And as a team, we just decided that uh, we wanted to give our team a, a break after the, the run of the 23rd and the 24th. And really, I, I just wanted our staff and our volunteers to be able to enjoy Christmas night without thinking about what they had to do in the morning. And so we can trust God for that. We're going to take the week off, and then we'll be back on January 2nd, where we'll kick off our 2022 together as a church family. So don't show up on the 20th. If you miss the 23rd and the 24th, for whatever reason, we will have the service um, streaming by the 26th, so you can come up and you can watch the, the Christmas Eve service at that particular time. All right, last Christmas announcement. Uh, Vision. We partner with a, a ministry called Vision Ministries. They're in the old part of South Toledo, and uh, they're a church, but then they're also a ministry that functions within there. We serve a lot of meals there. Uh, all of the gifts that you guys have brought in, which, by the way, about 175 kids that we got to sponsor uh, this Christmas season. So thank you guys so much um, 
for being so generous. The, just the gifts all piling up out there is really, really fun. We're going to take a moment and pray for all those gifts and those families uh, before we, we go into the sermon. Um, but also, we get the privilege of serving the Vision Christmas Eve meal. And so on the 24th, uh, our team will provide a full meal. And so if you make it to service on the 23rd, then you could go and serve on the 24th. And uh, there's spots you can fill up, uh, you can sign up for, and you can either do that. Uh, we'll post the link on the website or uh, it'll be on Facebook. And then we've also already emailed it out. And so if you don't get our emails, just fill out a Connect card and that way you, you always get that stuff. And, and then you can follow the link and you can sign up for either food or to actually go and serve the meal. Typically around holidays, we serve about 250 meals or so uh, for our friends down there. So thank you guys. I know we'll, we'll take care of that. You guys are always so generous. Uh, and so that's, again, that's for Vision Christmas. Okay, two last things. Like this isn't even my sermon, guys. All right. Um, first, Tuesday Bible study with Nancy, the women's Bible study that's going to pick back up in January. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted when that returns. And then all, lastly, for all of our fifth and sixth grade parents. So if you're a parent of a fifth and sixth grader, uh, we're making a transition in our ministry the way we kind of have it set up. And as a team, we think this is just the best way we can serve our families and serve these kids, uh, particularly in that really important age of fifth and sixth grade. And so beginning January 9th, our fifth graders are going to uh, leave what we call our elementary ministry now. And there's going to be a fifth and sixth grade ministry designed just for them. Jake, who is our current, uh, currently he teaches half of the services back there for the first through fourth grade or for first through fifth graders is going to teach our fifth and sixth graders. And so if you are a fifth and sixth grader and you're in here or you're the parent of a fifth and sixth grader, beginning January 9th, uh, the curriculum that we've, we have for that, we made it in house. It's awesome. Really excited about it. Uh, if you have any questions, parents, just talk to Danae, who is our family ministries director or grab me and and uh, we'd love to answer any questions you might have and just explain why we did this. But uh, we think it's going to be a really good thing for those fifth and sixth graders. All right, let's pray. Father, again, as we now turn our eyes to the text, as relevant today as when David penned it, I pray that you teach us from it. Help each of us to arrive at a place where we can say we've calmed and quieted our souls. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So we are in a series called A Calm and Quiet Christmas. I kicked the series off last week, and it's a study of Psalm 131. And in the key line of it is this, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, it was King David who wrote this psalm. And just to clarify, in case there's any uh, misconceptions about David, David, he was a king, but he wasn't a king at the time that he wrote this psalm. And so maybe you think, oh, David, yeah, he was king, and he had all the money, and he had all the power. So, of course, it was easy for him to calm and quiet his soul. Not true. David wrote this psalm in a 15-year or so gap period between the time he was anointed king at the age of 15 and at the time he was actually crowned king at the age of 30. And so somewhere in those 15 years, David wrote these beautiful words, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. Now, why that's relevant for us is because David didn't write this in a peaceful season. In fact, David really didn't have many peaceful seasons. David wrote this in the midst of personal battle, in the midst of military battle. David wrote this in a season of waiting when it could have been really easy for him to have his eyes so fixed on what was in the future that he missed out on what was right now. David wrote this in the midst of friendships that, uh, uh, that tore apart, in the midst of um, having to run from a king who was trying to kill him. Uh, David had to abandon his nation and join up with his enemies. I mean, there was a lot going on in David's life. Heartache, tragic, tragedy, pain, victories, moments where he, he, he could have seized the kingdom. And in all of that, the good and the bad, David learned how to say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, the calm and quiet soul does not mean this. It doesn't mean that life will be perfect. It doesn't mean that the circumstance will become what you want it to become or the people will become who you want them to become. A calm and quiet soul is about a deep trust, sometimes even in the midst of sorrow and pain, a deep trust in the goodness of God. And last week, I kicked off the series just looking at the first two words, oh, Lord. 
And last week was the proper perspective that we need to have if we're going to be able to calm and quiet our souls. This week, we're going to look at the proper practices. Next week, we'll look at the proper process. And so this week, or this week practice, last week was perspective. And what was that perspective? David said it this way, O Lord, O Jehovah. And we know from the rest of David's writings that David understood this about his relationship with God, that God was sovereign, he was in charge of everything, that God was good. It was David who wrote the words, taste and see that the Lord is good. He knew that God was active, that God wasn't distant or far away, but that God was moving in his life. And he also knew that God was personal. He was personal. God knew him. David says, you have heard every sob I've made, every tear I've cried, you've seen him. And so David knew in a good, sovereign, active, and personal God. And so that was David's perspective. Now, in the Christian faith, we start with doctrine, and then we do practice. We don't do practice and then doctrine. And so uh, we start with the perspective, O Lord, O sovereign, good, active, and personal God. And now because of that, because we have the right perspective, now we apply the right practices. And so last week was doctrinal. This week is practical. And in the practical, David says, I've learned three practices. I've learned three practices that have helped me to calm and quiet my soul. So we can have the right perspective, but we don't add, if we don't add to the right perspective the right practices, we'll never get to the calm and quiet soul. So David says these three things, these three things I've learned. Let me tell them to you. First, he says this, my heart is not lifted up. Then he says, my eyes are not raised too high. Third, he says, I do not occupy my mind with things too great or too marvelous for me. In all three of them, there's a theme. David is saying that there, 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 there's a way to look at life and there's a way to live life where, where your eyes and your mind and your heart and everything is higher than it should be. See, the worldly perspective is what? To elevate ourselves, to lift ourselves up is the path to calm and quiet David's saying, no, it isn't. The path to calm and quiet is not in elevating ourselves, not in lifting ourselves up, but in lowering ourselves. And where would David learn this? Well, ultimately, he learned it from the Lord, but uh, we see this most played out later in the person of Christ. And so we'll look at that as we do this as well. But David is showing us that we ought to humble ourselves and that humility is the path to peace, to calming and quieting our souls. So in this first one, David says, my heart is not lifted up. Now, this is just a, a statement of a disposition of David's heart of humility. David practicing humility, making sure that his heart doesn't get puffed up or lifted up, he, he, that he doesn't think of himself more highly than he ought. And there were a few different ways in David's life that he showed us that he had learned this skill, this skill of humility. The first is that David was always willing to acknowledge what God had done in his life, how God had worked and how God had done what David could have never done. David says it was the, it was the uh, God who helped me kill the bear and the lion. It was a God who helped me slay Goliath. And so David was very aware in his life of how God was working and moving in his life. See, the opposite is our typical uh, path where we look and we say, well, look what I have done. And the more we begin to take credit for what has happened in our lives, the more prone we are then to put pressure in ourselves, on ourselves, to duplicate those efforts in the future. And as that pressure begins to build, then the calm and the quiet begins to disappear. The more we puff ourselves up, the more we lift ourselves up, the more room there is then for us to fall. Scripture says this all the time. God gives grace to the humble, right? He rejects the proud. Rejects the proud. David knew and acknowledged often what God had done in his life. And one of the reasons I'm preaching through this psalm at the end of the year is because it's this time in life, right, where we stop and we reflect. And at the end of a year, it's good for us to look back then through uh, our year. And, and maybe one of the things that will bring calm and quiet to your soul is simply looking back and saying, God, look what you've done for me this year. Look how, look how you have moved. Look how you acted in ways that I never could have done. Maybe it was your best year ever, your most successful year ever. You climbed something, you, you got to the top, and it would be easy for you then to carry that on and to take the credit for it, but to calm and quiet your soul. So look back and give God the credit where the credit is due. Now, it's not just in this that David knew. 
how to make sure his heart didn't get lifted up. David also was good at what we're often not great at, acknowledging his own mistakes, his own faults. Now, there are, I'm being general here, there's two types of faults that we see in the scripture or mistakes. Some mistakes are just flat out sinful. They're rebellious against God and they're sinful. Others are not necessarily sinful, but they're still mistakes. Both can, uh, both, when, we're, when we refuse to acknowledge them, can destroy our calm and our quiet, can ruin the calm and quiet that we're supposed to have. David was good at acknowledging his sin and acknowledging his mistakes. Maybe no more famously than in Psalm 51, after David has been confronted by the prophet Nathan and he uh, cries out or he pens this beautiful psalm where he says, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. David was able to see his own sin. Now, sometimes it took a friend uh, and able to point that out to him, but still he learned And one of the easiest ways to destroy calm and quiet in our lives is to never acknowledge our own shortcomings. See, one of the pathways to destroying calm and quiet is to always think we're right. I don't make mistakes. Actually, John wrote in one of his letters, he said, he who says they have no sin is a liar. You're a liar. Being a liar in front of God isn't the easiest way to calm and quiet. Now, David says and shows us another path to calm and quiet is to acknowledge our own sin before him. A few years ago, there was a famous Christian uh, songwriter who said, maybe the most freeing thing or the best thing that could happen to me is if all of my sins were uh, posted on the big screen in Times Square for everyone to read. Now, that's not because we need to like confess all of our sins to every person, but what was he saying? He's saying there's something freeing about being honest before God about not allowing the weight of sin to to hold on to us anymore, but but acknowledging the presence of God, confessing it in front of him. Confession leads to freedom. And David knew that. And so even in the midst of great sin, David's soul could be calm and quiet. Calm and quiet. And perhaps you've looked in, maybe even in a judgmental way at somebody else, and you're like, how have they been able to recover from that? Or, or how is it that they seem to be okay with what they did? And, uh, and it's not that there's not natural or practical consequences, but, but it is an amazing thing that we can get to a place of calm and quiet if we simply will be honest before God and confess. Now, this is the sinful side of it. The other side of it is, is important too. Proverbs teaches us often about the fool who rejects all wise counsel, the fool who rejects all discipline, the fool who won't allow anyone to speak into their life. And one of the reasons that calm and quiet can be gone in our lives is because we're so prideful and arrogant. Our heart is lifted up so much that there's no one who has a voice in our life to tell us where we're wrong or foolish. And it might not destroy your calm and quiet right now, but it might in your future. In fact, it's possible that as you sit at the end of 2021 and you look at all of the things that destroyed your calm and your quiet in 2021, there was something in 2020, somebody was like, hey, this needs to change. Or there was somebody who in like 2004 (laughs) was like, this needs to change. And where there is not humility, especially in the God-ordained people that have been placed in your life to teach and to instruct and to encourage, where you don't listen to that and your heart gets lifted up because you think, I know better always. Calm and quiet will disappear. But for David, his heart was not lifted up. He could acknowledge what God had done and he could uh, take and, and acknowledge his own mistakes as well, and his own sins. And so he got to a place where he could say, my heart is not lifted up. By the way, another reason our heart doesn't get lifted up is because when, when we think we've done everything, look at what we've accomplished. It's easy for our heart to lift up. When we think there's nothing wrong with us, it's easy for our heart to be lifted up. When we walk with the, the understanding and we're reminded frequently of our own shortcomings and that God is really the one doing all the great work in our lives, it's much easier for our hearts to not become lifted up. The third part of this, David's heart not being lifted up is considering others more important or significant than ourselves. And for David, he often laid himself down for his men, for his family, for his people. 
And David showed humility by considering others more important or significant than himself. One of my favorite stories about this happening is uh, David was sitting around with some of his men, and he was like, oh, I'm really thirsty. And two of his men were like, okay. And so they snuck into the enemy camp, and they got David a bottle of water. Well, it was probably a canteen or something. But they came back. They gave David the water, and he's like, where did you get this? And like, we snuck in the camp. We got it for you. And David, I don't really understand like the cultural side of this, but David poured out the water right in front of him. And he wasn't saying, you guys are idiots. You shouldn't have snuck into the camp to give me water. He was saying, no, 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 let me turn now and honor you, considering others more important than ourselves. See, one of the easiest ways for our calm and our quiet to disappear is to make everything about us, to make everything about you. In your work, your calm and your quiet will disappear because you're always going to think they're bad at their job and I'm good. Uh, in your family, you, the, the calm and quiet is going to disappear because you're always going to look and you go, look how everyone's turning against me. And you're going to go through life, right? You're gonna, your calm and quiet is going to disappear at the restaurant because you're going to think every waiter's out to get you. Your calm and quiet leaves when everything revolves around you. Around you. David said, I've calmed and quieted myself. My heart is not lifted up. And ultimately, where do we learn this? Well, we learn this by the greatest act of humility of all time in Christ. Philippians chapter two, Paul lays it out like this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To Christ, who could have made everything about him. Christ, who actually did all of the great work. Christ, who had no error or mistake, still humbled himself. His own heart was still not lifted up. He's our picture of humility. And at the end of the year, this might be a good time for you to pause and reflect. And I'll give you some time to do this at the end of this series and at the end of our, our day today. And say, God, I wanted to spend a moment being grateful for all the work you've done. I want to acknowledge where I've fallen short. I want you to teach me how to consider others more important than myself. So this was David's first practice. His heart was not lifted up. David's second practice was this. My eyes are not raised too high. See, in all of these, you're going to see that, that language of high, of elevation, of up. David says, my eyes are not raised too high. Now, the idea of the eyes not being raised too high uh, is the idea of gazing or looking at the wrong things. Now, this came as a shock to me, but over the last few months, people have been subtly or not so subtly revealing to me that apparently I am not the best driver, okay? Somebody say amen. Okay, that's somebody who's ridden with me before, okay? And, and so uh, people have been telling me, and apparently it's because that when I drive, my eyes tend to not remain focused. And where my eyes go, and when our eyes are not looking at what they're supposed to be looking at, and they're looking at that which they're not supposed to be looking at, then apparently the experience of riding in the car with me isn't great. And when I'm driving, I guess, people tell me this, and my eyes begin to do that, it doesn't just ruin the experience for me. In fact, it doesn't after at all but it ruins experience for everybody else. And when your eyes begin to look where they're not supposed to look, and you gaze at the wrong things, it doesn't just destroy your calm and quiet. It destroys the calm and quiet of everyone who's riding along with you. And so husbands, when your eyes begin to gaze at what they're not supposed to gaze, I'm not just talking physically. It disrupts the calm for everyone else. I will say this, though. I, friends and I, we went up to Top Golf the other day, and we had to get there in record time in order to not miss our tea time. And guess who they asked to drive? Okay? This guy right here. Okay. All right. 
where are I supposed to remain? The writer of Hebrews says it like this, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And I think the way that this gets disrupted then I can show best just by the physical uh, idea here of our eyes. And so our eyes are supposed to be fixed on Christ. And we're supposed to be, as the one song says, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. Our eyes just fixed on him. No matter what's going on here, what's going on there, what happened back there, my eyes are fixed here. But instead, what happens as we're walking on this journey, our eyes get off of Christ and they do one of three things often. They either go back and they look back. Or instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, they, the, the pendulum, just, they just start to swing and like me driving, our eyes are going like this all the time. Or... Instead of looking at Christ, I know I'm short, so you can't tell I'm on my tippy toes, but our eyes begin to look over him. And so we say, hey, no, I'm on Jesus. No, 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 you're looking past Jesus. Looking back, looking side to side, looking past. And when we do, it doesn't just destroy our calm and quiet. It destroys the calm and quiet of everyone around us. And David David had learned the art of keeping his eyes fixed on the Lord. Oh, Lord, for us, on Christ. But these three things, they, they tempt us. And so let's talk about them for a little bit. The first is the, the temptation to take our eyes off of Christ and then place our eyes back into the past and so we start looking back and God is doing something in our lives right now and he's working in our lives and he's moving us to where he wants us to be and uh, we're experiencing his presence in the moment. And as we are, like Peter, when he was walking on the water, we take our eyes back and we start to look around and we look back at the boat. And as we do, the calm and the quiet disappears. Now, why do we look back? See, David could have had many reasons to look back. If, if my like, physical presence here on stage is a chronological journey, at this moment, David was um, anointed king. At that moment down there, he was crowned king. Again, about a 15-year gap in there. And David could have looked back, and sometimes we do this where we, we start looking back at the promise that God had made. And so David could have taken one step, like a month, and been like, God, you said I was going to be king. I just can't wait to be king, Right? And God's like, hold on. And then David could have gone another year and be like, God, you said I would be king. God, you said I would be king. Let me say this, that God is way more interested in you experiencing his presence right now than he is you obtaining the promise on your timeline. Way more interested in you walking this whole journey because you don't know how long it's going to be experiencing his presence every step of the way. And there's a, there's a mentality that we can take and then, and then it becomes a physical practice where we're walking. And instead of, it's one thing to like anchor our hope in the promises of God. It's another thing to look back and to constantly be going, God, is it time yet? God, is it time yet? God, is it time yet? God, you said, God, you said. We're looking back. Second way, this begins to happen. Uh, when we, this is all in the looking back that David could have very easily have done is when we start looking back, we look back and we're staring at him or her or they or them. And David could have easily been like, God, but what about Saul? But God, what about the wife that left him. God, what about, what about, what about? And David could have, on his march to the promise, and we do this, we just keep looking back. And it's God, what, but look what he did, or, or look what she did, or don't you remember how they treated me, and, uh, and this, and, and our calm and our quiet is completely destroyed in the process of this, because we're constantly looking back and thinking back about him or her, or they or them, or we're actually like looking back and like seeing them, and you know how we most often do that? Facebook, or Instagram. And God's doing something awesome in your life and he's moving and there's good things going on in your life and you get caught in this, this, this trap where you're like looking back, but you're looking back. And oftentimes you're looking back as you're looking back because you're thinking, am I winning? 
or how am I going to get even? And God's doing something amazing in your life, but you're just looking back thinking, can I beat them? Am I beating them? Do I look better? Have I done better? Looking back. And it destroys the calm and the quiet. I've shared this story before, one of the dark nights of my soul, right? I, I got on the Facebook rabbit trail, and rabbit hole, and, and as I was doing that, uh, before the end of the day, like six hours later, I had deleted 4,700 Facebook friends. You know you have to do that one by one. I do know that. You do. I deleted 4,700 Facebook friends. It was down to 300. It was like just me and Gideon's army left, right? And we're... And in the time I actually needed to do that, right? I'm not saying that was like a healthy behavior, but like sometimes it is because I had to just stop looking and I needed at that point, I was too weak to, to exist within the temptation. I needed to eliminate the temptation. And there's different seasons in life where sometimes we can live within it and sometimes we just need to delete it, right? Because I was looking back, I was looking back. It wasn't that God was being, God was being good to me in the moment, but I couldn't see that and I couldn't be at calm and quiet because I was still looking at him or her or they or them. Stop looking. Stop looking. God's doing something in your life. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who wrote into existence what he's doing inside of you and the one who wants to bring it to completion and the one who wants to perfect what he's doing inside of you. And every time you stop and you take your eyes off of him and you take your eyes back to them, you're being drawn back that way. And that's where he's taking you from. That's where he's taking you to. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on him. The other day, no, it was, this was actually yesterday. Yesterday, uh, I was uh, downstairs and I was playing with Reagan in August and Reagan said, Daddy, do you want to play Dollhouse? And of course, every daddy wants to play Dollhouse, right? And so she was, she was like, do you want to play Dollhouse? I said, yeah, I'll go play Dollhouse with you. And, uh, but, but Augie's got to come with us because he's like, you know, crawling all over the world right now. The other day, we found him in the fridge, Okay. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, okay? And, um, oh, by the way, Lindsay's pregnant, so there'll be another one too. And, yeah. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Okay. And, uh, and, and so, Reagan and, and, and Augie and I, we were going upstairs to play Dollhouse, and she let me be the, uh, the mermaids this time, which I always get excited about that. Like, why are there mermaids in your dollhouse? Don't ask questions, okay? So, <laughs> Um, we were playing and, and, and then, you know, we brought August up with us and August is just ruining everything about, you know, Reagan's playtime, of course. So Reagan picks up a toy, Augie grabs the toy. Reagan moves over here, Augie moves over there. And I just told Reagan, Reagan, if you just don't look at August, then he won't mess with you. Because every time you gaze your eyes on August and you look to see what he is doing, you're missing out on the moment that you and I I, your father and, I, and my daughter, us that we're having right here. And so just stop looking at him. He'll get bored and move on and we'll still have something awesome going on here. And Reagan looked back at me and said, Dad, thank you for the incredible insight. <laughs> she said, I am so honored that you are my father. <laughs> your heavenly father is with you right now. He wants to be in relationship with you. And every time you put your eyes on someone else and you fix your eyes over there, you're missing out on what he wants for you right now, right here. Stop looking at them. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The third way that sometimes we look back that we ought not to. The third one has an A and a B. The A is sometimes we look back and we look back and we just see the glory days. You start, you're still telling your high school football stories, right? I know you went to States, good job. 
And you're just looking back at the glory days. And as you look back at the glory days, and as you look back at the glory days, and as you look back at the glory days, you miss the glory of God right now. Because you're so consumed with what happened. And it's not hard for us to get to these moments to go back and say, that was the best it was going to be. And to, to miss what good God wants to bring right now. So get back up in the moment. Other times, uh, the looking back is the opposite. We're doing something. God is doing something in our life. We're moving. He's being good to us. He's being gracious to us. uh, And and there's good things happening in our lives. But every time the momentum gets to start to build up, what we do is we look back and and, and, and we're staring at the mistake, the sin, the error. And it destroys our calm and our quiet because every time God wants to do something in our life, this voice comes up that says, yeah, but it'll never be as good as it could have been because you did that. And maybe God is saying it's going to be better than it ever could have been because I did something. The cross. There is therefore not no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God does things in our lives, and, and we look back, and, 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 we, and we see, and we begin to filter what God is doing right now through the mistake of our past, instead of filtering what God is doing right now through the grace of the cross. So maybe you did fall. Maybe you did mess up. Maybe you did sin. Take your eyes off of it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Stop looking back at it. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The beauty of the gospel is that we are not defined by our lowest moment, but by Christ's finest moment. And so you are defined by Christ's finest moment on the cross. The other way we begin to do this that um, destroys our soul, I can't go into these quite as much as I did the other one, Um, but but with our eyes, uh, the the second way is our eyes just are always doing this, 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 this. Okay, and the pendulum swinging is destroying our calm and quiet, and it's making everybody else around us tired. And, and we're going like this, and there's, there's doctrinal pendulum swinging, and so our eyes literally go to, to books or authors or things that we shouldn't read, and it goes, woo, 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 right? So there's that kind. There's just like sometimes personal pendulum swinging where it's like we can't settle in because we can't root our identity in Christ. And because we haven't rooted our identity in Christ, we're always looking for the next thing, looking for the next thing, looking for the next thing. And our calm and our quiet is gone. Sometimes when we're pendulum swinging and we're looking and we're looking and we're looking, what we're doing is we're looking and as we're looking, we're comparing or we're competing. And so I'm looking this way and I'm comparing myself to him or her. And I'm looking that way and I'm competing with him or her. And we're looking, 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 and Christ is just like, keep your eyes fixed on me. Because every time you go to comparison, it's going to destroy your calm and quiet. Every time you go to competition with that person, I'm going to beat them, I'm going to bat. There we go, you're calm and you're quiet. The other way then, lastly, is sometimes we look too far into the future. We look too far out. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan for your future. You should plan for your future. It's a good thing to plan for your future. But sometimes uh, in the planning for our future, what we do is we look past Christ and we look way so far out that our gaze has actually gone above where Christ is. And, and we're, we're so looking out into the future and often what we do when we're looking out into the future or why we're looking out into the future is because we're either so dissatisfied in the current moment that we can't do what Psalm 1-3 says, which is to bear fruit in every season. And so we're just looking, 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 right? And we're always thinking that there's gonna be something out there that's gonna be better. Something out there is gonna be better. Something out, so I just keep looking and we stop bearing fruit right now. Or like I said last week, we have this distorted future reality and we're looking past it then and we think, ah, once I get there, then I'll have my calm and quiet. And anything along the way that disrupts me from getting there will ruin me. It'll ruin your calm and your quiet. And then it's distorted because once you get there, you'll just start looking out again. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Third thing. Third thing, David said, I learned this and now because I have, I've calmed and quieted my soul. He says, my mind is not occupied with things too great or too marvelous for me. This is one of my, this is my favorite of the three, I think, because this is the one that for for me was, was, I think, stealing my calm and quiet the most, and I had to learn the art of this one. So you have the word occupy, and the idea of occupation here is allowing something, I think particularly like an enemy, to take residence up in your mind 
where it begins to, it, it, it gets in, it seeps in, and then it doesn't leave, and it begins to prevail, and it begins to take over. So think of like an, an occupying army that comes over and, and takes over a land that isn't is, and then the culture and the custom and everything begins to change because of the occupation. And in the same way, when, when we allow these thoughts that are too great or too marvelous for us to occupy our mind, then they begin to think, they begin to, to work their way through everything else, and it changes our heart, and it changes our understanding, and it changes what we look at, and it occupies and it's not supposed to. And David said, I, I do not occupy, I do not let to take residence in my mind those things that are too great or too marvelous for me. Let me give you a couple of those. Let me give you a couple of those because uh, I think what happens is when they begin to break in, uh, they take over. And for some of us, we, our calm and quiet can return pretty quickly if we can learn how to think about something but not to let that thing occupy. A couple examples. The first one, you ready? Politics. Politics. When politics begins to occupy our mind, when it takes residence up in our mind, then it begins to inform every other thing that we look at. And it disrupts our calm and quiet because the only way we can have calm and quiet is if the person we like is in office. And we're occupied completely with, what can I do to get that person or this person or her or she or whatever into office? And our mind is occupied by it and we're destroyed when they're in and we're peaceful when they're out or the other way around. Depending on what you're going for. Read Jeremiah 27. Read Jeremiah 27. You can't read Jeremiah 27 and not see God knows what he's doing. God's in charge. God's in charge. He knows what he's doing. Trust him with it. I was a poli-sci major. I'm not saying you can't be engaged in politics. You, cannot, you can't talk about politics. You can't think about politics. I'm certainly not saying that Christians should abstain from politics or anything like that. Don't let it occupy your mind. Don't let it occupy your mind. I mean, I'll be honest. Last year, I had to cut off everything for like nine months because my calm and quiet just left. I mean, obviously, like, everything was crazy, 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 crazy. I thought, okay, I can stay in this, let it occupy my mind and destroy me, or I can just opt out of letting it occupy me. And it's amazing how calm and quiet begins to return. Second one, um, well, since we're following this train of thought, the end of the world. The end of the world. It's amazing how we will allow the idea of the end of the world to begin to occupy our mind in such a way that we have no calm and no quiet because we're always wondering, oh, I wonder what that sign is. I wonder what this sign is. Have you heard this new one? Have you watched that YouTube video? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You know what every generation has thought ever? It's coming. Every single one. And so don't let the end of the world occupy your mind. Now, biblically, should we talk about the end of the world? Sure. Should we even think about the end of the world? The, ho the, the Bible tells us put our hope in what? In Christ's return. So sure. Can we study it? Yes. But when it begins to occupy us, it destroys our calm and quiet. Because again, now we are in every decision, everything we're doing, it's all informed through this idea of, oh, the end of the world is coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Remember when they said, hey, Jesus, how will we know? And he said, oh, I don't even know. Just my father does. It's like Jesus' way of saying, eh, that's too great or marvelous for me. That's above my pay grade, Jesus was saying. The father knows. Number three, when we occupy our mind with things that are not our responsibility or concern. We can do this in every arena, every arena. We can do it in work. We can do it uh, as it relates to other people's lives, okay? We can, and, and it's amazing how much calm and quiet can be destroyed. And really what's going on is our own ego is making us think about things that we really even shouldn't be thinking about. But we think we know better. And so, like, you're worried about, like, I don't know, pick a, an industry, and you lose all your calm and quiet because you think you've figured out, I don't know, global trade. Okay, this is like a stupid big example. And you're, like, actually losing stress because if you're like, if they just did this, everything would be fixed. 
Okay, take that idea then apply it to the, the smaller things in life. And you're so caught up and consumed in thinking about things that aren't really even your responsibility. And it's destroyed your calm and quiet. Fourth, I think I'm on number four. Fourth one. Money or business. James chapter four. Great business leadership lesson from the Bible. Some guy's like, hey, we're gonna build this business and we're gonna make a bunch of money. And the biblical author responds with, you don't even know what's gonna happen tonight or tomorrow. Now, should we plan? Yes. Should we budget? Yes. Should we do all of these things? Certainly. But it begins to occupy our mind when we think, okay, it is going to happen like this way and we're going to do it like this and this is exactly what's going to happen. And then when all of that happens, then this is gonna happen. I'm gonna feel this way and we're gonna get these things. It's going to happen in our timeline. And the biblical author is just saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not that you ought not to plan because there's enough scripture that tells us that there's evidence for that. But then your prevailing mindset has to be, and I'm going to wake up today and do what I can. And then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and do what I can. And then I'm going to wake up tomorrow or the next day after that and do what I can. And instead of our minds being occupied by what is out there, out there, out there, we enjoy and we walk with God in the moment. Even as a church right now, right? Sometimes people come to me and they're like, hey, are we going to do a third service? Or, or uh, better yet, they're like, are we ever going to build on? We're going to build on, aren't we? Are we going to build on someday? And, and listen, the worst thing that could begin to prevail our church culture or our staff is like holding on to building on someday as some massive big dream. Here's why. Because before we ever move into that, God is going to have to done a lot of work and brought a lot of people that we don't want to miss along the way first. And so would it be fun? Sure. Would it be fun to do a third service? Sure. Oh, man. But between now and then, there's a whole bunch of people that have got to be loved and cared for and brought into the church family. And I don't want to be so occupied with that that we miss them. Last one. Other people. Other people. And I've kind of hit this one in every one of them, so it's a common theme but our mind gets occupied. We let other people control our thoughts. And I don't know where I heard this before, but uh, it's that idea of don't let that person have so much power over you. Don't let that person, what they think, what they said, especially when their opinion doesn't matter, have so much power over your mind. Don't occupy yourself with, with well, what did he think or what does she think or what are they doing? So instead of all of these, what do we do? Philippians teaches us. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think the beauty of it being David who wrote this psalm is that he had all of this backstory, all of this tragedy, all of this victory, all of this stuff that he faced and experienced. And in the middle of it, he said, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I think the other beauty of it being David is David is going to go on to have an absolutely fantastic and successful career. And he's going to be an incredible king. And there's going to be all of this blessing and stuff that comes out of what David does. And so it's not even like the practices that we've just talked to are like this, like, ah, I just throw everything up to God's sovereignty now and I'm just going to worry about my little moment right here. No, what David is teaching us is there's this, there's, there's this beautiful way of both trusting God's sovereignty and operating and walking out what he's called us to do. And there's a way to do it that no matter what is going on out there, we can still calm and quiet our souls. And when we calm and quiet our souls, first, it will bring a peace to us. Second, it will bring a peace to those around us. And third, it will allow us to more clearly see exactly what God is doing right now and where God is bringing us every step of the way. And so I want to end today by giving us just a little moment of reflection and prayer and walk you through a few things. Would you pray with me?
Father, I pray first for those of us whose hearts are lifted up. Everything revolves around us. We can't see our own shortcomings. We think we've done what you did. Break us of our pride. Father, for those whose eyes are raised too high because they're so fixed on the past, help us to enjoy your presence right now and to be covered by your grace. For those who can't seem to settle, help us to root our identity in you. For those who are looking so far out into the future that they're missing the moment, help us to see what you're doing right here, right now. And Father, for those of us whose minds are occupied with that which they ought not to be, teach us to transition those thoughts to whatever is lovely, pure, commendable, honorable, and just. And as we do, Father, as we do, calm and quiet our souls. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, one thing, I forgot one thing that came to me while I was praying. I want to teach you this phrase because it might help you. When somebody comes up to you and they ask you about something, this simple phrase, that's too marvelous for me. That's too marvelous for me. Say it to yourself. When you're thinking through everything else, you go, oh, that's too marvelous for me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.